This week on Talking Acoustics, I have Jim Metzner. Uh, Jim has spent a lifetime recording soundscapes from which he's produced uh, records, uh, radio programs, and now podcasts. His podcast, Pulse of the Planet, started on radio in 1988 uh, and is now also heard widely as a podcast. Uh, In 2020, Jim's sound archive was acquired by the US Library of Congress. Uh, which will be the new home of the Metzner Archive. 40 years of soundscapes, programs, interviews, music and non-categorizable audio. I spoke to Jim late last year at the New Zealand Acoustical Society conference in Wellington, uh, where he was a keynote speaker. Uh, He was in New Zealand visiting the University of Otago as a Fulbright specialist in media and communication. And if you want to learn uh, more about Jim following this, you can check out his podcast, Pulse of the Planet, uh, his website at jimmetzner.com, or keep an eye out for his upcoming memoir, Adventures of a Lifelong Listener. So I'm with uh, Jim Metzner, uh, sound recordist, archivist, podcaster, uh, musician. How do you describe what you do to someone at a barbecue? <laughs> um, I usually tell them I sell car insurance and let, let it go with that. <laughs> no, I, uh, I wouldn't necessarily call myself an archivist, although having an, um, from the get-go, I've always been somebody who's interested in sound, but from the get-go, I somehow knew intuitively that making that first of all, pre- keeping the sounds, having some kind of record of them, whatever they may be, was important. And that may sound ridiculously obvious. This is back in the day when people often just recorded stuff, or at least for uh, the news or whatever, and just threw it away, recorded over it. Things were not kept. I I was not recording for the news. I was recording things that I felt had intrinsic value and needed to be kept. And so from the beginning, I guess I was a somewhat seat-of-your-pants archivist in the sense that I kept notes. And then as soon as when I got a computer, I started to early on have a database and, and, and a way of, well, first it was index cards and then it was a computer of finding these sounds, because I knew that was important. Hmm. Uh, sound, the sounds that you're recording, uh, and we should say you, you record a lot of soundscape, natural environment, and not just natural environment, but um, those sounds are transitory. I mean, any, any sound is transitory. Uh, and you're capturing that moment that would otherwise pass into the ether. That's right. Do you, do you feel a sense of ownership or guardianship over those sounds that you record? Yes and no. Um, No in the sense that the sounds are gifts. I don't use the, you know, people say I captured this and I don't use that word. Um, But guardian is a better, is a nice word because um, a guardian is someone who receives something, values it, creates a format whereby it can be kept and shared with others because any gift any gift of great consequence needs to be shared it needs gifts are meant to be you, you have something you receive something that you think is a value it's a very human response you want to say grab somebody else by the collar and say listen to this this is so great what uh, you know, I mean, I, I don't say I'm on the same, deserve to be in the same paragraph or page or even book as a man like Van Gogh, but, you know, he, he had a vision of what a starry night would look like, and he shared it with us, and it was like, oh, well, thank you. I, I, I've been able to see that in a new, uh, in a new way, and maybe sound recordists, to a certain extent, can do the same thing. We're touched by something. Some sound touches us to the core, and so you wish to share it with other people. Sometimes some of my work has that feeling that 
you would hope that that well that the bird and the pa the girl with the the parrot it's not you know great art but it's something about it that is just so much up, such an uplifting fun moment that just I've heard that thing fa hundreds of times that that recording and I still smile every time I hear it. So if the, if the question is why do you do what you do, your is, is your answer that it is uh, you see the beauty and the um, the worth in that, and you you want to share that with other people. Yeah. You know, I was Marner White's. Uh, he's a, a photographer, uh, right up there with Ansel Adams. Um, uh, American photographer. I was his assistant for a, a, a month or two uh, in the 70s. One of uh, every year he would go out and go around the American West and and take pictures of things. And I, I happened to be his one of his assistants on one of his last maybe his last trip. And he said at one point, and he had a very deep voice. Uh, he would say something something there's something out there Jim that wants me to take its picture I don't know what it is but it's going to find me and <laughs> I would say okay and then we would go out and we would and I would be like you know being the assistant guy trying to be a good assistant carrying the it was a big four by five and you know trying to anticipate what lens he would want or whatever and we would stop at a rock face. And for me, who is not looking at things with the same eye as mine or white, um, I was seeing a rock face, but he was seeing something else, the eye of the behold, the eye of the photographer. First of all, this would be very early in the morning and the light would be coming from a certain, that's when all the activity would happen. But not unlike sound recording, early, late, yeah. midday, the light isn't yeah. so good. And so it found him, this rock face, and later on, you know, the master, and he was a master, he would take this photograph and, and share it. And, you know, and maybe later when I would look at the photograph, I would see, oh my God, it's sort of like a, you know, the, 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 it would draw me in and I would realize what it was that he had seen. And now I had the opportunity to, to share that. So if an, if, if we're talking about an art form, whatever art is, I mean, I'm not going to jump into that wormhole <laughs> and tell you what I think art is, but it's whatever art might be, it's a, it's a, at least the kind of document, uh, documentarian work that I do, if it's an art form, it's transmitting something that has touched me. Now, what does that mean? It means that I've resp it's, uh, it's, it's hit me where I live, I responded to it, there's the quality of feeling. So you could go out and you know photograph certain photographs Really, you know, you, even just something as mundane as a person's face, you look into certain pictures and you, it's like you're looking into somebody's soul. Or Paul, Paul Caponegro would take a picture of an apple and you look at this apple and there's something about that apple, it's like, that's not an apple, it's like, it's, it's a galaxy <laughs> somehow. It's like, it's the universe, it's a microcosm. And sounds can have that quality too. I mean, there are some sounds that are like in-your-face sounds like that, the bull morte sound that's an in-your-face mm -hmm. sound i don't think anybody can hear that sound and come away like whoa that's pretty wild the 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 girl in the stream that's a much subtler that's more like a i don't know more like a japanese print it's a subtler sound um I, lately in, in aotearoa i've been recording very subtle sounds it's more like shades of light gray there's not a lot happening in them. They're subtle. And I've been, um, I don't know if anybody else will be interested in listening to them, but I sure am. It's very interesting that you go to photography because my next, my next question is, is about the difference between 
uh, your sound recording and photography or pictures and uh, I was struck in your talk that in some ways the the audio recording to me at least is somehow more intimate than um, pictures than, than photography it's um, uh, and maybe it's about being you know let into a world that's um, that's not as obvious and it's not as in your face to put to put a camera in front of someone as, as to record them yeah it, well first of all it takes time mm. it, you can look at a photograph and sort of get something out of it right away mm. sound you're gonna win I mean you know there's certain sounds pretty quickly you get it like the girl with the parrot it's like mm. a one trick pony but mm-hmm. it's a nice trick yeah um, other sounds take time but um, one of the first, I mean, I've recorded sound in virtually every context that you can imagine. In some cases, I invented them. And one of the contexts that I invented was a portfolio of photography and sound. Now, that's multimedia, but in those days, nobody was doing it, mm. um, this being in the early 70s. So I, it was a, uh, in, I published, I self-published three of them. And one was, the first one was with pictures from Minor White and and other one, if, you, if you're into black and white photography, um, Andre Kertesz, Ralph Gibson, Lottie Jacoby, these are heavy hitter photographers who like the idea of this work. It was a kind of a synesthetic experience. In fact, that essay by von Horn, Eric von Hornbossel that I was speaking about in the talk was, that was in this, the magazine part of this. But it was like a package, like an LP. It had an LP, mm. this ancient artifact <laughs> known as a record, and it had this portfolio, a folio of very nicely pr- printed photographs. And I published them in three three different formats, uh, three different issues. But so there was a, a, a portfolio of photography and sound. I, I, although I originally called it a magazine of oral and visual art, but it was a synesthetic experience. The experiment was to see, literally or figuratively what is the rela- what could there be as a relationship is there any relationship between a, f- a photograph and the sound and some of them uh, you, you can still find them online they're going for a lot more money than they co- cost when they're, they're all out of print now you you'd find them sometimes on eBay but some of them in the first one were very literal and some were not the, my favorite one it was a Lottie Jacoby picture. There's a really strange photograph. You look at this photograph and you see it's a woman with a dog in her lap. And you look at it and there's something weird about that photograph. You don't know what it is. And then all of a sudden you realize that the woman is looking at you and, and not the dog. Oh, wait a minute. No, she's looking at the dog. Wait, no, she's looking at you. It's really unsettling oh. because there's a double exposure. And she's looking at both the dog and you. And so it freaks a lot of people out when they see that. But so, and so I found a s- song that was unsettling in a very odd way. It was, a, um, it was someone, it doesn't matter who, singing a song to somebody. And then all of a sudden, the person who he's singing to, a woman, starts to freak out a little bit because she the song, um, something about the song is unsettling. Not in any um, when I say unsettling, not in any sort of bad way, but she's like she doesn't know whether he's serious or you know, she'd never heard a song quite like this. What is this all about? And so the quality of that song, even though it does not relate directly to the photograph at all, emotionally it does. Mm. So there was that. That was probably one of the more interesting ones. And then, you know, I, I, a lot of the other efforts were more literal. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So um, one of the things I was going to ask you about, and, and you sort of unpacked a little bit about this in, in your talk, was mm. about uh, the storytelling component. Mm. I mean, you're in some ways like a, like a photograph is just capturing something that is already there mm. and, and preserving it mm-hmm. uh, an audio recording can be capturing something that is transient and 
and and in in one sense it's it's just taking something that's there and and putting it to to print Mm -hmm. but your work is um is something more than that in the in the way that a good photographer tells a story in a photograph um your work is telling a story often um how deliberate is the story telling uh how is how are you what is the difference between someone just randomly pressing record wherever they're standing and the and what and the work that you do well sometimes it's very literally a story sometimes I'll, I'll actually i mean that 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 little two-minute piece about the whales was just kind of a story mm-hmm. the um every radio program is a kind of, has a beginning a middle and an end even the one about carlene hutchins and i mean that's a story about her telling about her work you have two minutes you tell the story about how the plates and so forth um soundscapes are i think the i think i said it in the thing the the some of the soundscapes like the um the Bo morte is a kind of story without words um i think the subtler the story in a way the more nuanced uh, the sounds could be without if you're not helping the audience with words and saying and now we're going down into the basement and mm. so forth and so on you're letting the sound speak for themselves that's a bit trickier mm. and and the, the craft of of telling a story with sound is how much information if you use information at all is too much do you tell it without any information that's possible people do mm. that but that really requires that the heavy lifting be done by the listener mm. and I don't think every listener is willing to do that. Mm. So it depends how much you're going to trust your listeners. And maybe you, if the context is um, something you could hold in your hand, whether it's a, um, a, a book or a CD or a, even um, something that you have certain control over, you could give the listener the option to say, I'm not going to tell you anything about this, or if you want to know, read this, so they have that element of choice. But I think that um, sounds almost, most often need a story to at least open the door. I think to a certain extent, you need to quiet, just to quiet the mind so we have enough of a handle on it that we're willing to enter into the room and, and be present and, and listen. Just that uh, that's enough, not too much, mm. but just enough to allow it. And so a great story for radio or podcast is one that has both elements of sound and story, but the, like I said in the program, that the sounds have room to breathe. Mm. It's like you what, you're looking at National Geographic and you're reading it, and then there's the picture. And yeah. now that you know, all right, this is the such and such and the so and so, and now I can take that in. So it's a little bit like that. There's a rhythm to it too. You know what what constitutes, um, but. Um, I think, like I said, it is an experiment, and there's absolutely no reason why new contexts can't be found, new ways of of listening, mm. where there may be less of a story, and in those contexts, you think that the listener might be more willing to have their own experience in the dark room, as it were, mm. if you follow that metaphor. Mm. I don't know if that metaphor was, I, I didn't think that the audience uh, in that room was necessarily <laughs> buying that metaphor. But I think it's a good one. I, I, this idea of, this you're gonna hear the sound differently than I am, just in the same way that yeah. you would print that negative differently yeah, yeah. Than, than, than I would, because it's a subjective experience. It strikes me there's a parallel in the visual arts in that, um, you know, you can have a picture of, a, you know, the New York, New York skyline yeah. or of, uh, 
you know, so a, a touchdown in a sporting, you know, photo of a, a scene that that tells a really clear story and mm -hmm. it doesn't ask much of the viewer mm -hmm. to, to fill in the gaps mm -hmm. or to give it context. But if yeah. you go to uh, look at particularly a lot of contemporary art, mm -hmm. it's not obvious mm -hmm. necessarily when you look straight at the canvas what's going on yeah. and it requires you to a sort certain of, amount of time engage, you know spend time and and, yeah. and engage all these other things from your past experience and external knowledge to, to bring to that piece of art to sort of make sense of it yeah and and something else too the friend of mine jake berto who's no longer on the planet it's a painter friend he would just say, look, here's this painting, but I want you to spend time with it. I want you to I, I, just, you know, don't talk to me for like 10 minutes mm. or just, just look at this painting. And I would go, yeah, sure, Jake. And then I, whatever. And I just, because I liked them and I would look at it. And it would be just this painting of the tree in the forest. But spend 10 minutes or more with it. And all of a sudden, something shifted. Now, it's not like, you know, Somebody turned a button on the, I mean, it was just, the canvas did not change, I assure you. It was me that all of a sudden, I was on the path. And there was a light in the distance and I was seeing the depth and, and elements of this canvas just opened up. And it's not just with Jake's work. I think great art has that ability of, a great photograph has that quality of being pulled in again. Now you could have on one hand a very famous photograph of Jack Ruby uh, uh, shooting Lee Oswald. Mm -hmm. That's a one-trick pony. I mean mm -hmm. it's an extraordinary moment. Yeah. But I don't need to look at that. I mean it, it doesn't I, I, unfold over time. It doesn't keep giving to you. Every it is day. what it is yeah. and that's I mean it's an extraordinary moment. It's like but maybe if I was a forensic anthropologist or something like that I would you know look at it some more but a great photograph has the quality of being able to be seen again and again and experienced like a fine wine. And I think sounds have that same quality mm. in, in spades. You can listen again and again and you'll and hear you find it. new things. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, uh, that's the richness of your music that's, that's textured oh, yeah. and layered is that you listen to it again, you, you listen to a record that's 40 years old. Yeah that, you know, there's records that I listen to every year for the last 20 years and I still yeah. find new things in them, you know, it's... But, if, but do I have that same... I, I don't listen to soundscapes the way I listen to music. Mm. I'm, I'm the way I grew up, where I was educated, such as it was, I'm much more programmed, habituated to hear music and listen to long periods of time, but not so much with sounds. Mm. I'm finding, which is why that experience that I tried to explain, where the, the, the I was helped by the cars, by mm. the human sounds. It made it much, in an odd way, much more listenable uh, um, for some strange reason. All of a sudden it helped me hear the whole soundscape as a, an entire orchestrated piece with these little uh, phrases of music or mm. uh, of sound that were bookended mm -hmm. by the cars. So, and, I, and I, I have to tell you, I'd never had that experience before. Because I usually I'm in the room, oh shit, car, get out of here. So this, no. is the, this is a recording you were making of, uh, you know, in, in, uh, up in the northern part yeah, of North Island. Yeah, just and last week this happened. Of, of, you know, animals and trees and natural environment. And, and then, then all a of a car sudden, boom. drive past. But somebody else would listen to that and have a completely different experience. Yeah. And that's, I'm not saying mine is better than theirs. Mm. That's what happened for me. To me, it was a revelation. Mm. I would not predict at all that anybody else would have the same thing. The challenge for me then would be, if I wanted to say, share this, how would I go about that? Mm. Did I tell them about my experience and say, now you have your own experience? Or would that be like a setup, you know? Yeah. Here's the way you T should telling be Telling someone how you to, should take it. Exactly. Yeah. Now, I think that is not having faith in my audience, so to speak. Maybe after the fact, we would, uh, I could talk about it and say, well, what was your experience? Here's how I might hear it. Because I th 
frankly think we, I, need help in, in learning how to listen to the environment. I, mm. I didn't grow up with any um, clear understanding of that. You know, if I was living in the bush and my life depended on it, you can bet your boots I would have a much better mm. uh, understanding of what the sounds of nature would, would, would be, are. And sound, sound is all around us all of the time every day, mm -hmm. um, but we're not always aware of it or appreciative Absolutely of it until we right. stop and, and actively listen. True. Um, do you have any advice for those of us who are uh, moving through the everyday and, <laughs> and not appreciating it to, on how to be more mindful of the mm -hmm. soundscapes that we're living in? Well, that's all of us. That's me too. I mean, from one simple way is to go out with a recorder. Yeah. Put some earphones on, you'll hear it in a new way. Another is to go out with a friend. Put a, I was going to do this at this um, um, uh, conference. I had offered it. If, we, if there was time mm. uh, to do a workshop, I would take people out on a sound walk. Sound walk. So yeah. you and I would be partners, let's say, and I would put a blindfold on you and I would lead you around. And you would have, an, if you have never done this or haven't done it in a while, I guarantee you that you will be hearing in a new way mm. or in a, an un, uh, in a way that was like, oh, yeah, yeah, thank you. Know, that's, and not only your hearing, but your, se your smell, yeah. your senses, yeah. all your senses, are, it's, it's remarkable what that does. And then you switch off and you become the guide. And even the guides, the people who are leading around, even they are affected by this. Mm. It's a wonderful um, way to, 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 to do it. But even, you know, you don't have to be blindfolded. That experience I had with the, the, the building that was wrapped in plastic. Mm. What did you make of that idea that the city is a musical instrument? The city of Wellington is, is a, a musical uh, instrument played by a, the wind. A, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that uh, image. I didn't, I didn't know how people heard that or took it or whether they thought that was full of shit or not. Well, I I, yeah, I mean, I guess in a way, uh, I've been thinking about that and the fact that it is such a windy place yeah. that the wind defines it not not just in how it, how you feel in this, you know, it's, it's windy and you got to rug up and, mm -hmm. you know, but it is a character of the place and therefore it's a character of the sounds that you get in the place. Yeah. Yeah. yeah to me, it's extremely Yeah, in some ways it's, it's saying <laughs> something that's just totally ridiculous and abstract but in another way it's like stating the obvious yeah yeah and at the same time for me it opened me up to starting to hear the city in another way mm. and i made a I, I i wanted to i didn't have a um the right recorder because then you i was a hearing the flapping stuff <laughs> yeah exactly i didn't have a uh the right um recorder to i needed a good um, um shotgun or something windscreen yeah. to, to whatever i had but then later I had a better in, a recorder and I heard on a smaller scale and I was recording a piece of plastic. I said, oh yeah, this is close. And so I was recording it. And then just as that was recording, as if the city was saying, thank you for that, there was a boat whistle in the background. Oh, yeah. So the recording then took on this other quality of the, of the, uh, of the city joining in. And, yeah. uh, you know, there's the percussion and then the wind, uh, the... Uh, <laughs> The, tone, the deep tone, the bassoon. It's the orchestra. Um, you've, you've spent a lot of your life traveling around, around the world, uh -huh. um, listening to soundscape in the environment, inc including the people who are part of it. Um, the sound of the Wellington waterfront or the sound of the Blue Mountains or wherever it is has a particular soundscape, which mm -hmm. is changing over time, but mm -hmm. has sort of a, a signature. Mm -hmm. um, they're not uh, they're often not consciously appreciated, but they're important to us and mm -hmm. important in mm -hmm. the sense of, you know, our sense of space and sense of yeah. uh, belonging and, and, and where we are. Um, we don't seem to protect or acknowledge them. Is that a fair statement? And, and do we need to work harder to protect them? We, we protect, you know, we t protect heritage buildings, but we don't protect Mm. We're in very, very few and far between examples. We do we well, protect soundscape? I'm glad you asked that question because it brings up this uh, something I should have mentioned in my talk, and it just wasn't enough time. You make choices, you know. Um, but two years ago, when I was originally supposed to come here, I was trying to launch for, for the reason you're speaking about, for just the reasons that you're speaking about, because these sounds do need to be celebrated, heard, protected, valued. 
They are part of our national heritage here and elsewhere. Uh, and Aotearoa Stories and Sound uh, project, and it, you can find it on Facebook now. That's where the first incarnation is. And then COVID hit. Uh, and the idea was just to crowdsource sounds that people find important. If you go to americansoundscapes, plural, dot com, you'll see that I've tried to launch this idea in America. That's the beta site, so it's coming online. But because of the publicity that I got from um, the Library of Congress announcing, they put out a press release. And we got so much press from that that people started signing up for the American Soundscapes projects. And people have been sent, just today, I got another one. People have been sending in sounds and, and subscribing, which is very exciting. Of course, here I am in New Zealand doing this, so I haven't had a chance to respond to any of them. So I've written back to everybody saying, have patience, thank you. And so by crowdsourcing these sounds, that's one way, and beginning to share them to on American Soundscapes, we have the, feature some of the work of very good professional soundscapers, but also ordinary folks who are carrying uh, sound recording devices in our pockets now, first time in human history that that's ever happened. And that's a way of beginning to do what you're suggesting, to s first hear and recognize, yeah, and then to share. So that's a first step. And finding ways, so you know, if there if there can be a uh, a gallery of uh, of of fine photography or a gallery of fine um, paintings, why can't there be a, a a museum or a place where sounds are celebrated too? So, which is why, as part of the American Soundscape Project, I had the idea to create trailers, film trailers, at a local movie theater. You go into the movie theater. The, did I tell you this story? You go to the movie yeah. theater, you watch the previews, and then mm. before the feature comes on, the screen goes black and the titles go up. For the next minute, we invite you to close your eyes and listen to the sounds of this dawn chorus and wherever it is. And then you have that, and the theater has a great sound system. Mm, along. Yeah. And then at the end it says, American Soundscapes, we'd like to hear from you. What are the sounds that you think are significant? And so that's, that's right. the that's a, concept. A, a way yeah. to do this. And so I, um, I launched it at a local theater. It's been a hit. I've applied for a grant that I hope I get to extend the franchise to take it to other movie theaters. So that's one way. Another way would be to not make little traveling, you know, maybe they could be like a, you know, today the uh, the traveling soundscape theater is going to show up at such and such place, and there'll be this little area where you put up this installation and people yeah. can hear or whatever. Or maybe it is an installation and it changes. But to create contexts um, where people can begin to hear and celebrate uh, sound, online is one. But I like the idea of people in life hearing them. You know sharing them just like you would go to a well, it's, uh, it's, it's yeah the difference is it's outside in the in the in the world interacting with other people and yeah. then yeah. yeah yeah having it be you know heard the, the way that uh, i mean listen these are great devices but it's it's an isolating experience it's mm. me and my disconnecting world. yeah yeah just to have it out and shared with other people yeah. and those are just beginning ideas of how uh, um, these can, there are other ways too, but this idea that finding ways that sounds are included in the mix of what we celebrate. The Japanese did this about 15, 20 years ago. There was a pre-internet pre um, call to action. What are the important sounds of Japan? And people did it. And you, mm. if you go online and search, uh, they've made them national treasures, mm. of course, mm. and they are. You know, some of the people would, I think the way they did it with, People would uh, suggest, oh, you must record the, the bells at the certain temple, or mm. you must record these f certain birds that are in the certain lake. Mm. And you go online, there are the hundred signature sounds of Japan. Yeah. Well, m bravo for the Japanese for doing yeah. that. I mean, it's like that. An example for us all. Yeah. There's, uh, there was a project during COVID where the, uh, I 
can't remember who organised it, but there was a sort of a call for people to go out and just make a one one minute recording, I think, of their, you know, just their space. And, cool. Uh, what happened to that? Uh, it's online. Know. It's somewhere. online somewhere. Yeah. If you find it, would you let me know? Because yeah. yeah. I'd love to hear what kind of response they got. Yeah. The nice thing about COVID, not that COVID was nice, <laughs> anything but, but uh, the um, the silver lining of that dark cloud is that things got a bit quieter in certain mm. places, less, mm. less noise and more opportunity for the yeah, very different. to come through. Yeah, and there were some, there's some studies, uh, Mark is here uh, at the conference, he did a, he, he works for the Victorian, some Victorian government department, mm. I'll say the wrong one if I try. Um, but they did a whole bunch of noise monitoring over COVID and compared pre and post COVID levels and yeah, uh, yeah really I'm interesting. I'm sure it went down and, and bird noise went up. But you know, for the, if anybody within the sound of my voice, whoever may be listening to this podcast, li- is interested in this idea, they can get, I mean, I, I'm not a Kiwi. Uh, it should not be me who does the sound, but I'm certainly willing to collaborate mm as I did with uh, the, the, my friends at the University of Otago. And there is the beginning that came out of a master class that I taught, is a, a small group of people who are interested in this idea, but so far no, it needs a, frankly, a leader or a group that will take it on. So if there's anyone, an acoustician who would be willing, interested in, in, in this, they should contact me and I'll put them in touch with the others. Yeah, um, one thing that struck me about uh, thinking about your work, and it's um, it's something that I think about sometimes because I'm the, you know, the acoustic engineer who's standing there, very quietly measuring noise, mm. is that you're there spending your professional life recording sound, and you're trying hard not to make any noise. <laughs> True. Is I'm just wondering if you have any reflection on that, the fact that you you're capturing sound but not making any well you are but usually after so what I do now is I'll record something and then after it I'll tail slate it or I'll head slate it yeah. I'm at the so-and-so um, uh, and what you're about to hear is probably or at the end yeah uh, you know because I don't want to talk over the thing no. but, uh, you know you know oh by the way that was a um, we just heard a kiwi call or whatever it yeah, was yeah. in the background or I haven't the slightest idea what that was but did you, <laughs> yeah, did you did notice you that know? something some, something went down oh, oh uh, this is this is great I was at the uh, dawn, doing a dawn chorus on um, Stewart Island and I, I'm listening to it and all of a sudden I hear this sound on there what the fuck is that I mean does somebody have a donkey around here I mean because there were, uh, there were no farms around it and I, I, I listened to it but it was all I could do to say you know, because you, you, that's the other thing. You don't want to s- spoil it by going, yeah. whoa! <laughs> so later I asked the proprietor of the place where I was staying, any donkeys around? He said, oh, you must be in the penguin, the penguins. I said, what? He said, yeah, this is the ping- ping- penguins that are um, they're, they're in, in the woodshed. <laughs> Little blue pe- blue, uh, blue-eyed penguins we're in the woodshed, uh, completely out of sight. So I would never have known. I mean, the last thing I would have thought of was a penguin, for Christ's sake. And, but that's what it was. They, yeah. And they sounded really weird. I mean, you know, to me, I'm sure to another penguin, it was very inviting. But they are a very strange sounding uh, animal. Yeah. Anyway, that was a total non sequitur. Um, you've, you've gifted your lifetime collection of recordings to the Library of Congress. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you hope that that will be used in the future? Well, I hope, first of all, that it will be, that it won't be buried. Uh, you know, the, you know the movie The Raiders of the Lost Ark? Mm-hmm. Do you remember the last scene? Yeah, well, they put, put it in a box in a warehouse somewhere. And yeah, and, and there was this <laughs> brilliant... And it uh, pans out. Pan, this brilliant <laughs> scene, this Spielberg genius, you know, he pulls yeah. out and you see the cart is surrounded by five carts and then it's ten carts and then it's, yeah. like, it's like the universe in 40 jumps. It's like all of a sudden there's this, u- there's this galaxy of cartons and you realize no one will ever find it again. It's yeah. hiding in, uh, in plain sight. Um, and who wants to... I don't want my stuff to be buried. No. I want it to be heard. That's why this initiative to have a uh, places where they can be heard, to have 
make sure that this stuff, and, and now I'm not talking just about my stuff, it's much bigger than, and more important than just me and my stuff. There's a whole crew, a whole posse, it's an American word for you, posse of, of um, folks who are recording soundscape, whose work deserves to be heard and treated like the artists that they are. Let's find ways and places to celebrate them mm. and honor this work and then encourage other people to, to discover the soundscape too. But why not begin? I mean, some people are doing really luminous, luminous recordings. I could rattle off a couple of names for you. Uh, Chris Watson, Doug Quinn, Lang Elliott, just to name a few. Um, uh, Bernie Krause, people who make, you know, Brilliant recordings. I think they're all much better than me, um, but it, it doesn't matter. We're all hearing things in different ways. Yeah, and you know they're doing wonderful work. Let's celebrate it. Mm. Um, bit of a again a non sequitur, but uh, I heard you speaking recently about um, the pedestrian crossings here in New Zealand. Yeah. They have the the pulsating buttons yeah. and yeah. that help the uh, blind and deaf people to signal with vibration yeah uh, i didn't know they vibrated with, yeah, too they vibrate they pulse that so I didn't tell know. you whether it's safe to cross oh, if you cool. if you're blind and I didn't know that. Uh, uh, um, uh, if you're deaf sorry and if you're blind you mm. can um take the auditory signal to go yeah and they um they're invented by a sydney-based acoustic engineer uh louis chalice who's, who's no longer with us but he developed them uh, with the Department of Main Roads, and they offered him the the opportunity to paint it, patent the invention. He gave it to him, and he gave it to them. He said, Good for you. "One thing that they're not, at least that I didn't hear it. I was trying to put myself in the position of being blind and hearing it, and it did not seem to be directional. So if I'm at a four-way thing, I would have no way of knowing that that way is good, but that way is not good. I didn't. If it was there, mm. I didn't hear it." So I think one th way that they would need to improve it, maybe, unless I refine my hearing, is to make it more directional. Mm. I yes. don't know about the no. New Zealand ones, but certainly the ones in Australia, that, that's the sensation on them as well. So with, combined with the pulsing, well, uh, you can well, maybe uh, that's the answer which, because which, ones, which ones go. But the sound by itself, yeah. the ones I heard were not. I heard another, I don't know if it's a signature sound, but it was a good one. I was almost going to bring it up. Um, your sirens are great. They they go through a whole range of of, uh, the, of frequencies. I would guess, see to the pants calculation, yeah. somewhere between like maybe uh, a thousand hertz through twelve thousand. You know, yeah. something as the range. Yeah. You know, I thought, whoa, that's it. A roller coaster. Yeah, a roller coaster. Siren. Sound. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it, what what advice would you give someone uh, starting out that that wants to follow a similar? Yeah. Uh, well, I hesitate to say path because it, it well, doesn't I feel you know, like a direct, direct path. I, if, if you would have told me in high school, for example, that I'd end up making radio producing and sound recordings, I would have looked at you like you were nuts. I didn't. I had not a clue that I would end up doing this. Even when I first started recording, um, it was just recording stuff that interested me I didn't know what it, you know and then you know after a while it was like you know those duh moments radio you schmuck radio <laughs> the listeners medium and then oh, oh yeah that's right I would say well now with with the era of podcasting so the, the gold rush era of podcasting is Anybody with a dollar and a dream could become a podcaster. Yeah. And now you could still become that, but you've got a lot of company. Yeah. Um, so the gold rush era is over. But it's not to say that anybody with a vision, whatever it might be, um, there's always room to hear, certainly binaural recordings. I, I would love to hear more stuff of people going out and recording things binaurally and sharing it. Mm. I, I don't think there's enough of that. I, I am, That's what I would do if I was just starting out. I would say 
start out and experiment, see where your ears take you, and then you'll you'll find what the next step will be. It'll be your step, not not my step. Mm. But that's the thing. On a path, you need to find your own journey. You know, the, like all the fairy tales, you need to, you know, you go out on the quest, but it's your quest. Mm. You you have to take the walkabout. You have to see where it takes you, and and and. The last thing I would want anybody to do, and people did when I was started in my work, people imitated me. Mm. I was surprised. I, it was like I, I was dumbfounded by this. I, I was like, "Wait a minute!" You know. I mean, I was successful. I was mm. one of the first uh, independent radio producers actually making a living. But then other people started to imitate me, mm. and I was like, "Well, wait a minute! Why don't you find your own thing?" Mm. Why do you have to? And it was blatant. Mm. I'm not going to mention any names, but trust me on that. I can give you several examples of of actual ripoffs mm. of of my work. And some and I once confronted somebody at a conference, and they said uh, this classic line: "Didn't you know that imitation was the greatest form of flattery?" And I'm going, <laughs> you know, that sorry, <laughs> that just didn't help. <laughs> I did not feel flattered. Find your own way, and 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 that'll be your way and your thing, and, and that's what having a path is. And, and and what's what's your way from here? You've, I mean, you've done a lot of different things. You've you've led a lot of different lives in a way. I have. Um, true. What what's well? What's, I'm writing this memoir, yeah. uh, uh, Adventures of a Lifelong Listener. The subtitle is The Magic Wand and the Breadcrumb Trail. And um, that's a new thing for me. I'm putting all of these stories and sounds. And in writing this book, um, it's really an exploration. It's, a, it's an opportunity for me to rediscover new ways of listening. This is one of which I was trying to talk about today. I, I will speak about that experience in the book and, and hope maybe find a more coherent way to explain it. <laughs> But these are all new ideas, um, for me anyway, that will end, end up in this book as being ways of um, exploring what listening is. Because I meant what I said uh, at the end when I said, you know, we really do need to listen to each other. Mm. Um, and, and one of the other questions I have for myself is maybe you know the answer to this. I don't know. But if we could find a way of listening in nature, like sort of like what I was describing, other ways of being open to nature, I think it's possible, mm. if not easy. Could that be any help? If we could do that, could, we, could that help us learn to listen to each other as well? Or are these two completely separate realms? Well, it couldn't hurt. But <laughs> and it's... The act of listening, whether you're listening to someone else or listening to the environment, both are disconnecting from your your own need, your own internal focus, to focus in on something external. So, if you're actually it, listening to somebody else it, that way, but you most of us not. Most I'm not of us listening not. to him. Yeah. I'm gonna. I'm listening to what I'm gonna. Oh yeah. Wait, waiting well, for my chance to tell you what straight. I think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, but I think it must, you know, if we actively listen, well, this is, I've got nothing to back this up, but I reckon if we're actively listening to the environment around us, to just what, whatever's going on around us, it must exercise the same mental muscle as listening to a different That's perspective. The, that is the Maybe? question. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I, I'd like to believe that. Mm. Uh, wouldn't you? I mean, you would hope that that would be the case, but I don't know. Uh, anyway, that's one of the things I'll be exploring in this book. Mm. Um, I don't have the answer, but I'd sure like to think so, that it would be the case. And where can people find out more about your work and about your book? Where can they head? Well, uh, I don't ha the book doesn't have a website or anything like that, so I had that sign-up sheet. But my work, certainly, uh, people can go to... Uh, well, a couple of places, jimmetzlerproductions.com, my Facebook page. Also, I have written another book. Jeez, it's one thing. You know, I'm not, I'm a terrible self-promoter, <laughs> although you probably don't think that, but I am awful. Um, 
I have a whole book that I have written already. It's a fiction book. So if people want to uh -huh. read that, and that's a, I'll give you. Uh, oh no, I don't have it here. See what I mean? <laughs> it's. Um, but I have. I'll give you a bookmark for it. It's called. Yeah. It's called Sacred Mounds. Okay. And it's a work of fiction. Yet another thing to do. Uh, have done. Um, it's a First Nations story with a foreword written by the head of a, of a First Nation uh, group, uh, the, the Nache in America. Um, the principal chief of the Nache Nation wrote the foreword to my book and vetted it. And it's a First Nation story. And listening is one of the key elements of the book, exploring. Mm. The book explores in a, a really fun, non-intuitive way what listening is. So there's another what color on the palette or, or whatever metaphor you want to use so people could that that book is called sacred mounds and if people want to know more about that it's out in the world it's in the in the novel uh, the, the website is sacred mounds plural novel sacred mounds novel.com don't go to sacred mounds.com it's a rock and roll group <laughs> <laughs> of course sacredmoundsnovel.com and then you can learn all about it. And your podcast? Uh, Pulse of the Planet. That's on every podcast platform. I think it's virtually all of them. And now it's, it's not, it, it's changed. It's not daily anymore. It's tri-weekly and it's longer. So I, I just interviewed uh, Robert Perrin and I hope I'll get to do, he was great talking about bells and, Mm -hmm. Good stuff. And so the great thing about having a longer podcast is like you have mm. is it can stretch out and follow a line of thought like you've done. It's mm. great. Well, Jim uh, Metzner, thanks mm. so My much pleasure. for taking the time. Thank you. It's good questions. I appreciate it.